T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. Good afternoon. We're talking Ukraine. Dr. Harvey Risch will be here in a moment. Brian and Tolland. Hey, Brian. Hey, Todd. Um, I think you're taking the wrong approach when you're talking about Ukraine. You're saying it's uh, unconstitutional for uh, the U.S. to support the Ukrainians uh, in their fight against the Russians. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. We have Why? a duly elected government. They have the authority to do pretty much whatever they want. If they want to give weapons to the Ukrainians, they can do it. A duly elected government has the right to do whatever? You mean the, we suspend the Constitution after an election? There is no part of the Constitution that would say that they can't spend money to give weapons to the Ukrainians. What you're really arguing is that it's not a good idea. Uh, no, I'm saying argument. that their responsibility is for the defense of the United States. And if the defense of the United States has no meaning, like you can just make up any reason why you have to spend money, because something could, through some sort of Rube Goldberg evolution of events, lead to causing us problems, then you're causing that premise to be moot. I disagree. For the last 75 years, We've spent an awful lot of our defense budget to defend other parts of the world. Yes, exactly. And we've done it because it was in our interest. Well, because we say it's in our best interest, but how do we know that all that money isn't just being spent so that we can operate a world war machine? Because the influence of money is so powerful in our politics today, as Dwight Eisenhower warned. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. WTIC, good afternoon, and thank you for being here. I'm very excited that we, and we'll take more phone calls coming up, but Dr. Harvey Risch is here right now. And Dr. Risch is a professor emeritus at Yale in epidemiology. Sir, thank you for being here once again. Uh, My pleasure to be with you. You have, uh, over the past three years, had kind of a turbulent time in terms of being under attack for following the science regarding COVID. And I just wanted to get an update from you. Is that where things remain? Well, I'm still following the science, and turbulence <laughs> is normal, I think, for this kind of stuff. Even in, in science, turbulence is normal, so let alone pandemics. Mm-hmm. 
And and are you still facing pushback for that, or have circumstances changed? Has the environment changed? Well, I think what we've learned more or less recently is that we haven't been facing facing pushback, but censorship. And I think that's a much bigger issue, and our whole society is going to have to recognize that. Can you expand on that a little bit? Are you talking about social media or in general, or is this about uh, certain political forces that don't want good information to get out because it contradicts what the government is telling us? I think you've got all of those. Um, all of that is correct. So th- what we learned recently is the social media that was being directed at government direction uh, and, and lots of government um, personnel to suppress certain opinions, viewpoints, uh, statements of a host of, of all sorts of people in the social media. So that's the the obvious censorship. But there's also a more subtle censorship that I've personally felt, which is the absolute refusal to cover anything of any of the science that I and my colleagues have put out by the traditional media. And it, it was inexplicable. And, and when this all first started in summer of 2020, after I had published my first scientific article, scientific articles like that with huge amounts of, of uh, population, people looking at it online and so on, generally get picked up by the regular media. And it was just silence. And uh, for example, NPR has an ombudsperson. And so I connected to the ombudsperson, got no response you know, and then thought, oh, my God, this is really now symptomatic censorship by lack of response. And I think that's kind of been the, the, the more subtle form of censorship. Do you have any sense of how this travels? How, how would it happen that the free media, as we used to look at it, would be thwarted in its desire to cover news? Where, where would that come from? Because you're... You're a conventional, straight-up source pre, pre-COVID, and and now you're one of the people who they curb your voice. And do you think there's a somebody telling them not to, or that they feel a dynamic that suggests it would be bad for them to tell the truth to the American people? Well, my understanding is that even though I haven't felt any specific government-like pushback against me, that my name is in their lists of people whose voices they want to curtail. Uh, This came about through contacts that I have with people who have been involved in the government COVID response early on. And I'm just one of many, you know, and I think that this is a directed kind of warfare to produce only a certain kind of public health activity that's government-sanctioned and not necessarily scientifically sanctioned. We're talking with Dr. Dr. Harvey Risch from Yale. You made reference a moment ago, I think, to Twitter and to the revelations in the Twitter papers being released by, by Elon Musk that demonstrated that the government overtly and directly went to social media companies like Twitter, at least went to Twitter and told them what they wanted, who they wanted and what they wanted to be censored. And is it possible that that's where the signals might have moved over to, say, the NPR ombudsman and, and he learned maybe they got contacted, too? 
all of that is possible. I, I think that the news organizations have much more centralized direction that comes from the top of those organizations, that they have involvement in the whole pandemic planning part of the the event 201 and previous epidemic modeling. And I think they were used by the government as part of the public health campaign for the government's plans. And so those individuals at the tops of, of the media empires are, are the ones who are directing what goes on further down. So you're thinking that along with, the, say, the governor of a state like Connecticut and the head of the Department of Public Health in a state of like Connecticut, who are all part of a, a, a briefing system from the central government when there's an epidemic coming, like COVID three years ago, they're getting all their instructions and their sharing of information from a centralized source. And you think the media, the heads of the media organizations are also privy to those uh, instructions? My guess is that's the case. I have no direct specific knowledge of that, but I'm just, you know, a lowly person out there and this kind of stuff. So that's my guess. But this is what's funny is you're not a lowly person. You're one of the people who used to be and maybe you still are at the the top of the heap in terms of people to turn to when you're trying to figure out what should be approved in medicine and what shouldn't be approved. So you used to be the guy who was consulted, if I'm correct, and, and now because you said what the evidence led you to believe was true, you became a pariah of sorts. Is that right? I kind of like that, yes. <laughs> uh, mRNA vaccines, are, are we seeing science that would suggest that there is danger there that is not being reported? Uh, well, it's a question of what you mean by science. So I would say, yes, that there are, uh, is increasing data showing that people are having serious or severe adverse uh, events from the vaccines, that these adverse events don't just happen over the two or four weeks after each shot, but they can happen after five or six months after the shot, as shown by Edward Dowd and the insurance company data that, that have shown increased mortality, all-cause mortality, occurring some six months after the rollout of vaccine programs. So I, I think those kinds of data are becoming more apparent to everybody because it's like every family, every circle of friends knows of people who've been seriously affected by the vaccines. And they also see that nobody's taking responsibility for those adverse events. Everybody shrugs off you sudden adult deaths as if this is just the normal and, and we just have to live with that, you know, when that never was the case in the past. And are you saying when you say that it never was that way in the past, that there were deadly adverse effects from vaccines in the past? By and large, that's true. The the mortality associated with the COVID vaccines, at least as represented in the VAERS database, is orders of magnitude greater than the combined mortality from all other vaccines through the, 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 the beginning of the VAERS database. And so that's a signal that, that can't be denied, even if you want to quibble about what percentage of things get reported. It's, it's still a comparable signal that can't be denied. Dr. Harvey Risch is with us from Yale. Is that a particular 
uh, subset of the population? Is that young men with cardiovascular impact, or is it more generalized? I think that what the insurance company data show are working-age people between age 18 and 65, say, and it's now five or six insurance companies have shown the same thing, either increased numbers of deaths in that age range uh, starting in the third quarter of last year and continuing into this year, or increased total dollar amount of mortality claims that the insurance companies had to pay out during the same periods. And is there uh, data in that that indicates what the type of uh, reaction is? You mean the, the why people are dying? Yes. Uh, that is, that's uh, the, the common causes of death, essentially cardiovascular diseases, heart, heart attacks, strokes, things like that, some cancer, um, but the, it's, it's the, the things that kill people, except in this case, it's killing them a lot earlier, uh, more unexpectedly for their what would be expected in, in those age ranges of, of the people who are affected. So there's no particular cause indicated, but there is a jump in the number of deaths and the age of death since COVID and since I, the vaccines. Yes, I think that's uh, approximately accurate. And what what are your thoughts about this? And, and how should we think about it moving forward? Does this, is this data significant enough in your mind to make one cautious or reluctant to take boosters? Well, you know, if we were dealing with an infection that killed a large number of people, and, and so the trade-off was what would happen in six months or the next month or in six months versus getting the infection and taking risk of dying, then you would have to try to evaluate quantitatively what your risks are and try to choose the best for yourself. But that's not what COVID has been about and certainly not what it's been about in the Omicron era where the mortality is exceedingly low uh, for everybody except more or less elderly people with multiple chronic conditions. And that trade-off has never been clearly enumerated by the federal government, by the CDC, by FDA, by anybody saying, you know, if you're at such and such an age, then you have high risk. They've said everybody should get it and they don't explain, and they never actually do that calculation because they know that calculation would show that the vaccines have very little benefit, if any. And the most interesting thing that came out um, yesterday or so was a study from the Cleveland Clinic that looked at Omicron infections in the period where BA4 and BA.5 were the, the frequent infections, mm -hmm. according to how many vaccine doses one of the healthcare workers in the clinic had had in the past. So these were people who had had anywhere between zero and six doses of a vaccine and then following them forward for risk of infection. And what they found is the people who were unvaccinated had the lowest risk of this Omicron infection. And with each increasing number of, of doses of vaccine, the risks went up in, a, in an orderly increasing fashion showing what we call dose response, that the more doses of vaccine you'd had in the past, the higher risk of getting COVID would be in their cohort of about 50,000 people. The higher the risk of catching COVID in, this was amongst healthcare workers, was yes. 
was amongst those who had the most um, vaccine vaccinations. And you're saying that this data indicates that um, it would be a logical conclusion that it indicates that it, you're better off not getting the vaccine unless you have a specific vulnerability to COVID. Is that correct? Correct. I mean, these were, after all, generally healthy people in their mid-40s, plus or mm -hmm. minus on average. Yep. And, and so we're relatively low risk. What else? We just have a couple minutes left, and I appreciate you taking the time to fill us in, Dr. Rish. What, what else uh, are you thinking about? Are you carrying around as legacy knowledge and um, information that the average person would want to have after uh, nearly three years of COVID? Well, I have the frustration that, in my opinion, the pandemic should have been, the emergency should have been declared over a year ago. That when Omicron hit, and we knew that it was not a, a serious infection for almost everybody, that that negated the reason why there should be a pandemic emergency. Secondly, we also knew we had increasing evidence about the failure of the vaccines to provide long-term benefit against infection. And you have to realize that whether or not the vaccines keep people from getting sick or not, that's a personal decision about how you want mm -hmm. to treat an illness for yourself. It has no government implication about you infecting grandma or, or your neighbor. The government reason for wanting to mandate vaccination is because it prevents spread. And the CDC already in August said that it doesn't prevent spread. And they admitted to that after a long period of seven months where we already knew it didn't prevent spread. So there is no reason for an emergency at this point. The case counts are not how you manage the pandemic. You manage it by hospitalizations and deaths and maybe long COVID. And uh, that's not being done. We're all being hyper-propagandized on the cases are occurring, the cases are occurring, when that's not how you measure how you manage the pandemic. Because this pandemic is not a deadly disease over. anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Dr. Harvey Risch, Professor Emeritus at Yale Epidemiology. Appreciate your time. Thank you for filling us in once again. Great to be with you. All right. Happy Peace. holidays. Yes. Merry Christmas to you. Harvey Risch from Yale. And uh, that's what we've all been thinking and understanding, and you're getting it from a guy at the front, on the front lines, a respected voice in epidemiology. Very interesting stuff. All right, let's get a traffic update. We're going to the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. Mark Christopher will provide an update for us, as usual. Hey there, Mark. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.
Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. Yes, indeed, WTIC. Hank in Berlin, thank you for the call, sir. Go ahead. You know, uh, I'm sure you heard on the news that Stalinsky visited the White House and uh, got out of the limo when he met uh, Biden and his wife. And you know what? It's the first time in my lifetime that I saw a head of state come to our White House, you know, to meet our president, whoever he, he was. And he walked out and he, he looked like a railroad bum. He should have had a suit on and a tie. He looked like a bum. You're talking about Zelensky, not Biden, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. He got out of that limo, and he went up to Biden, shook his hand, shook his wife's hand, and you'd think he'd have a suit and tie on like everybody else that visits our president yeah. at his state. He looked like a railroad bum. Can you imagine that? I couldn't believe it. I was watching it on TV. Well, that's his happy. whole brand, you know, and it's uh, it's... It's very no, is to come to the United States and meet with Biden to get more money. You know how much money Biden has given him already? What's he doing with it? Well, we've given it to him, not Biden. You know, it's well, our money. Yeah, well, we, yeah, the taxpayer, you're right. But what's he doing with it? I mean, you know, they had a, 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 a pilot on TV about five weeks ago, a pilot, Ukrainian pilot. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what? He said, we don't even have any jet fighters or helicopters. We still got prop planes. How does he expect us to compete with, uh, you know, high-energy fighter jets from Russia? I mean, I don't know what this guy's been doing. I know he was with Dancing in the Stars, but I don't know what he's been doing as the president of the Ukraine for four years. Back to, back to what you... No, ba- no basic training or nothing. Hank, back to what you're saying about their, the greeting that Biden gave him. That, that is a photo op for Biden to show us that we should feel affection and connection to Zelensky and the Ukrainians and, and their war so that we don't get mad about all the money that's being dumped. Yeah, well, let me tell you something, though, and I can understand that to a point, but he should know better. He's going to visit the uh, head of state. He all should... right, we got that point, Hank, and I understand you're being upset about his casual attire. He's doing that because that's what Biden wants, is my point. And they don't care what sensibility is being violated. They want us on board with the spending of the money. John and Tim and Susan, hang on. We'll get to you coming up, but we're going to go to the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center, connect with Mark Christopher, and get an update on the commute. Now, back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Yeah, it's WTIC. It is a Wednesday afternoon. Christmas fast approaches, as does the storm. How about that? Let's grab uh, Tim, who's been waiting a terribly long time from Bloomfield. I apologize, Tim. Go ahead. That's all right. Uh, your previous caller uh, made uh, reference to uh, Biden being head of state. Mm-hmm. I, I consider Biden more of a head case. Uh, as far as Zelensky being in this, in this country, in the Ukraine, what's going on? I wonder how much time is going to be spent with, uh, between Biden and Zelensky talking about uh, keeping uh, things low key regarding his son Hunter. 
period. Yeah, well, that's a that's a really good question. I I not even had the hunter thing drifting into my consciousness on this, yeah, but that's. I mean, I I just think this thing is like almost like uh, blackmail. What we're doing? Do we know the percentage of the total cost? for taking care of the Ukraine that we're funding right now at U.S. tax dollars? Well, it must be enormous. I want to know what the percentage is. Yeah, well, it's a good question. I mean, we're into it now with this $45 billion, we're into it for uh, on, on above board $110, $120 billion. And yeah. there's got to be a lot more, more money too. given to them, period. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Because I don't want to see uh, Putin trigger something that we're all going to pay for for something we're indirectly involved with. No, that's a great point, Tim. And, and we don't know that we can trust our government. There's really no reason to think that we should. Thank you for that call, sir. Good to hear from you. 860-522-9842. We'll take more phone calls in a few minutes. But Joe Markley is here right now, regular at this time on this day each week. Joseph Markley, hello there. Hello, and I'm just delighted to call in on a day when the topic is Ukraine, because uh, frequently it's, it's what I think about talking about, um, because I, I think it's a huge problem. And I'm also delighted to hear so many of your callers. Um, well, in fact, I think everyone I've heard so far this afternoon that I caught um, has a problem with what we're doing over there. And I think it's a healthy reaction. And, uh, and I think that the fact of this Zelensky visit and the big hoopla about it, um, it kind of reflects the uh, the, the realization on the part of the powers that be that are that are pushing this war um, that they're losing popular support that uh, that people are are losing uh, that the attention is drifting away. And they're the nervous. Yeah. They're nervous about their the the foundation upon which they're standing not being solid when they keep going for more money and now they're going for forty five billion in one whack. We've already spent sixty eight billion. They threw in another two billion in Patriot missiles today, and where is the end to this? Maybe this war is just getting warmed up. Are we in it forever? For uh, you know, is it a ten year war? Hey, incidentally, to answer the, your, the question of your previous caller, just read an article in National Review, for anyone who wants to look there, that mentioned that the uh, European Union has put $7 billion into it over the last year. Oh, wow. So, so they're spending a lot for them, huh? Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and you know, once again, it's one of these situations where we say, we've got to do this because if we don't, the next thing, you know, the Russians are going to be moving on Poland, the Russians are going to be moving on whoever. Well, they yeah. don't seem to be as nervous about it as we are. Well, wait a sec. They're they're in crisis just because Putin wants to cut off the flow of natural gas to them. Right. Forget about their military spending. It's ridiculous that with the stuff we fall for, Joe. But you're we've had conversations in the last uh, couple of weeks and and beyond where you've differentiated your rationale for conservative thinking from my libertarian rationale and i'm wondering how you plug this into being a conservative so our conservative listeners can understand well let's say this that it, until the cold war it was the republican party that was what you would call the isolationist party you know reluctant to get into world war one reluctant to get into world war two until until pearl harbor took place um, the the Democrats were the were the um, adventurers, 
uh, in wanting to get involved in foreign policy. Woodrow Wilson wanted to get in World War One, and he finally did. Franklin Roosevelt always was promising that he was going to get us involved in World War Two. Subsequent to that, I think I think rightly, communism was perceived as a different kind of threat, a, a threat that was working everywhere in the world against us, and that had made real inroads into into critical parts of the of the world. Um, after the fall of uh, the Soviet Union, I thought, my goodness, the millennium has come, right? We don't have to worry about a, a global enemy anymore. Um, we just we're back to dealing with certain nation states that may or may not have have ideas in mind. And the idea somehow we've clung to this notion that Russia is our enemy. This is one of the things that I every time I see this, you know, our number one enemy is Russia. I think Russia, which is a shadow of what the Soviet Union was in terms of military power, on the other side of the world, and and frankly, uh, a country that in a lot of ways, I what I want from Russia above all is stability. Um, what we don't need is, you know, Biden's idea of all oh, what they should get rid of Putin. We could do that, and you've got thousands and thousands of nuclear warheads, and we don't even know whose hands they're going to be in. Putin is not an Putin has not been an irrational actor. He knows what the implications are of different things that he does. He's threatened by this by um, having NATO on his on his border in Ukraine, and we caused a war just because of that. That's not conservative, I guess. To answer your question, that's not conservative behavior either historically or in terms of of wanting peace, not wanting to take on expenses, not wanting to see people killed. You're saying by having supported, the U.S. having supported the the movement of NATO closer and closer to the, to the Russian border. Yes, and, you know, all we had to do was to say, no, we're not going to have Ukraine come into NATO. And there's this kind of sense of, like, well, why should we say, why should we make any concessions to Russia at all? Well, First of all, because it's not that big a deal about whether Ukraine's a member of NATO or not. It's the idea of a kind of a neutral uh, Ukraine, like a neutral Finland that sat up there on the, on the Russian border for all those years, doesn't threaten us, and it doesn't actually threaten Ukraine. Would the country, would the country of Ukraine be better off sitting there in peace as a neutral country, or what's happening to it now, getting devastated? Another terrible thing, I think, I think something that we're doing that is um, morally repugnant, is this notion that hey, it's great because we're weakening Russia by uh, by by having them uh, have this fight in Ukraine? What we're doing to the Ukrainians is like saying, "Hey, little guy, go over there and punch that big guy in the in the nose, and we'll mm. hold your coat for you." Well, yes. in the in the long long run, the little guy is going to is going to take a terrible beating, and the fact that we get away without getting bloodied ourselves is nothing we should be proud of. Well, and we have no guarantees of that. Well, that's right. And, and the fact now, Todd, that the Ukrainians are using the weapons we have supplied to strike within the Russian borders, uh, I think takes it to a whole other level. I can remember as a kid during the Vietnam War when I learned that the Russians and the Chinese were arming the North Vietnamese. I mm -hmm. mean, they were in their, presumably in their own country but they were using weapons that they got from those. I thought, how can we, how can that be permitted? How can we let it go? Because that makes it a proxy war. That makes it a proxy war, but at least the, we, they weren't giving the North Vietnamese missiles to hit California with. But that's what we're doing now to Ukraine. And I think that we're poking the bear. And 
the bear is a good metaphor for Russia because it's a big powerful So what would be our motivation? Power. What would be the argument if you were sitting there advising Biden on how he would make the argument that this was the appropriate thing to be doing to keep Americans safe, which is the purpose of having a military in the first place? What, what's the rationale? Well, it, it, there is, um, in, in both parties, a dominant strain that uh, believes that, you know, the more that we can fight wars distant from ourselves, the more we can maintain outposts of empire all over, all over the place, the safer we are, and also the, the, the more power we have in the world, that a lot of our power comes from the fact that we have, we have bases in, what, 140 countries around the world? That's it? <laughs> yeah. But when the Soviet Union fell, I thought, oh, this is great. We can bring home all those troops from Germany and so forth. But government never, never pulls back, right? The government never pulls back. And in this sense, conservatives, libertarians, anyone believe, that believes in liberty government, um, the, the number one thing that should be limited is war. And, and as you've mentioned Eisenhower before, that one of the things that most needs to be limited is the military-industrial complex that sees profit in our adventurism. Um, it even, I even see this argument made. Oh, well, $45 billion, but after all, most of it's getting um, spent with American armament com- companies. <laughs> it's still taxpayer money that's being spent on something that's of no benefit at all to taxpayers. The fact that the, my money's going to use a missile that's going to attack Russia doesn't make my life any better. It just makes it more dangerous. All right, Joe, any other thoughts? I, I, I'm glad people are speaking up about it. Um, don't let the powers that be get away with this, and uh, keep up the good work, Todd. Joe Markley, thank you, sir. We'll talk to you again next week. 860-522-9842. In about uh, 20 minutes, we'll get the rants going. And let's talk to John in Massachusetts. Hey, John. Hey, Todd. Uh, I'm certainly not a neocon. I'm not looking for a blank check there. But um, what would the alternative be? I mean, can you give military aid to Ukraine, cut back on the humanitarian aid? and see it at least go to what could be a reasonable use of force to counter uh, Russia. Uh, If not, then let Russia take Ukraine. What could possibly happen? They wouldn't have any more aspirations beyond Ukraine, Latvia, Estonia, uh, Lithuania. They, They really wouldn't do that. But, but, John, if we, if we were not there to go put up the military wall to stop people like Putin as he threatens a whole other part of the world, and it happens to be a very wealthy part of the world, then why should that wealthy part of the world spend any money or put any effort into defending themselves? We are filling in for Europe. Why can't Europe do this? Yes, and that's a tremendous argument. 100 billion versus 5 billion that Europe spends, outrageous. At least if you look at Poland, Poland said, we're ready to give you 25 jet fighters right to Ukraine. We don't care. We're on the border. Poland seems to be the only one that's ready to step it up. And I would have maybe have taken them up on the offer. Mm-hmm. But this fear that we're poking the bear and they have the nuclear weapons, well then, why wouldn't you give in to blackmail anytime, Putin? But we're not being blackmailed. Of course not. We're not being blackmailed now, but he would never do it in the future. 
he would never have adventurism into Syria. And but you're the you're operating place, on the assumption right? that we have to be the one to stand up to every invader going after any country, no matter how far away, and no matter how many other people there are who could do it and would have to do it if we didn't. Well, I think you have a unique case here in that you have Ukraine who will fight to the death. We saw it in Mariupol steel plant. You had Russia with $600 billion in cash reserves before it started. They easily gave, would give a billion to uh, Zelensky and his regime to leave the country. Why would you want to go through this war if you're Putin? There's your billion or your two billion, Vladimir. You can leave. Why wouldn't Zelensky take a billion dollars to leave the country? Is it maybe he's got a little bit of sense of honor based on his parents and the Holocaust and the fact he wasn't bought and paid for like Poroshenko before him? I mean, it might be possible that he he has a sliver of honor left when the Wagner Group came to kill him, when Spetsnaz came to kill him, and he stayed. I mean, is it possible he has any honor, Todd? I don't understand what that has to do with the question of the U.S. involvement there. Thank you for the call, John. Why are we filling in for Europe? Europe is sitting right there with an economy basically the size of ours. Germany, one of the great manufacturer on the planet. Well, after China and us. There's a lot of money there. There's a lot of power there. They've put in $7 billion. We've put in $110 billion. And that's what they're telling us about. They always lie about the numbers. And you see the performance today. The invitation to Zelensky to come to America and put on this performance, what's it for but to make sure we maintain our emotional connection to a country we knew nothing about? A year ago, and we cared not about. Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. Let's get ourselves a little traffic update. Mark Christopher in the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. Hey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.